1: I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. We can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today I'll be recording Depth of Field by Tess, etc. The rating for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic includes Major character death, but kind of not Time travel, illness, vomiting, pining Photographer Dean, Dr. Castiel 1960s, 2010s Alternative universe, no monsters or hunting Implied or referenced suicide Grief and mourning Smut The Field, written by Tess Etc., read for you by Nerdy Nernstein. Summary Dean, a professional photographer, is taking photos at the 4th of July parade when he spots an old man with striking blue eyes across the street. Dean follows him, but before they can speak, the man falls down and dies with his hand in Dean's. Dean feels responsible and seeks to learn more about the old man. Retired doctor, Castiel Novak. Dean discovers that Castiel once owned Dean's house and comes to find an old camera amongst his things. When he takes his own portrait, it sends him hurtling back 50 years to 1962, where he meets a young, handsome Cass. They can't help but falling for each other. But Dean can't stay in 1962. His connection with his brother Sam pulls him back to 2012. Determined to see Cass, he uses the camera to return. But each time he travels to the past, it takes a greater toll on his body. Eventually, in order to stay with the man he loves, he has to make a heartbreaking choice. one prologue hey he says setting the tray down next to the bed dean's eyes blink open bloodshot but still brilliant green i made you soup you didn't have to bring it here i think i can get up eat first then we'll go into the living room we can watch the jetsons we can he's cut off by dean's bark of laughter which goes on for a few moments before tapering off into coughs He reaches for Dean's wrist with one hand, feeling for his pulse, while his other hand reaches for his forehead and then his neck, checking for fever. Dean bats his hand away. I'm fine, babe, I promise. I'm feeling a lot better today. I'd really rather eat at the table, though. He looks at Dean closely, assessing him. I'll make you a deal. Eat your soup here, and I will bring the television up and we can watch it in bed. Dean quirks his mouth up into a grin. How about this for a counteroffer? I'll eat here and you can get in bed with me, but let's forget hauling up the TV. Dean winks at him and he feels his resolve weakening. Fine, he says, but eat first. He watches as Dean eats the soup and the buttered bread. He finishes it all quickly and without any signs of nausea or confusion and seems even more alert by the time he's finished. He takes the dishes away, and when he returns, it's to find Dean patting the bed next to him. What's the prognosis, doctor? Dean asks, watching with interest as he strips down to his boxers and undershirt before sliding into the bed next to Dean. I have to admit, you do seem much improved. Dean inches closer to him, his lips brushing along his cheek and jaw. I feel much improved. I feel very energetic, in fact. Dean's hands skim down over his belly and his fingertips creep into the waistband of his boxers. His cock stirs in interest and he rolls over onto his side so he can take Dean into his arms and kiss him properly, letting their tongues slide together and his hands roam. He can't ignore how thin Dean's gotten, how he can feel each rib and the jut of his hip bones, but he doesn't say anything. Can't. Their time is too short, too uncertain for arguing. Instead, he slides his palms around Adine's Dean's backside and pulls him closer, running against him as Dean slips his hand between them, pushing their clothing aside and taking them both in hand. There's no other sound in the room aside from their breath, their whispers to each other, and the soft moans as they both reach completion. I love you, he breathes, I love you too, Dean whispers in reply. He looks into the green eyes of the love of his life and holds him tightly. He opens his mouth to say something, but in the end he can't. He's said it already so many times over the last several days. Don't do this again, Dean. Don't come back. I don't know if you'll survive. I can't watch you die. Promise me. Promise me. But instead, he just holds Dean closer, fingers pressed against his skin, nose in his hair, unwilling to ruin the moment. Dean, of course, has no such misgivings. He pulls his head back to look at him. I'm getting a little sticky, babe, much as I want to stay like this forever. He smiles at Dean. Okay, I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Where would I go? Dean replies watching as he slides out of the bed and makes his way down the hall to the bathroom. He's cleaned himself up and is on his way back, warm cloth in hand, when he hears Dean call out, Oh, no, Sam, it's too soon. He drops the cloth and runs back into the bedroom, but it's already too late. The bed is empty. He stares at the rumpled sheets, the hollowed space where Dean's head was only a moment before. His chest tightens. His breath rasps. The clock ticks. He turns the radio on low to drown out the silence, pulls the blanket back and crawls into the quickly dissipating pool of heat left by Dean's body. On the radio, Ray Charles sings, Of of those happy hours. He wraps himself in the quilt and finally allows himself to cry.
2: time has to steal Since we've been upon, Chapter 2 A
1: Face in the Crowd Dean ignores the phone ringing in his pocket as he lines up his shot. The sun is hitting the brass instruments of the marching band just right, with the crowd in the background and the park beyond and he doesn't want to miss it. Besides, he told Sam where he would be. He shouldn't need to check in every ten seconds. He takes another shot, then a third, and then he feels a tap on his shoulder, so he turns around, only to find Sam standing there with some kind of frothy Starbucks drink clutched in his giant mitt. You didn't get me one? I tried to call you, but you didn't answer. Dean shrugs. He can't hold a camera and drink at the same time anyway. He snaps a few more shots, focusing a bit more on the crowd. There's a guy, bored, looking at his phone, standing in front of a brick wall built in the 20s. Dean likes the contrast. He lines the guy up, off-center, focusing on the brickwork and snaps a shot. There's an old guy watching you, Sam says. Dean looks where he's pointing. There is indeed an old man across the street, and he does indeed seem to be watching Dean instead of the last float as it rolls between them, loud music blaring from its speakers. When the float passes, the man is still there, staring. Dean tries not to stare back, but there's something about the guy that has Dean's attention. He feels himself caught up in his eyes, peering at him from his lined face. Dean can see the blue even from across the street bright and clear. A breeze catches the man's hair, thick and white, standing in every direction on his head, and he scowls as he pushes it out of his eyes. Without thinking, Dean lifts his camera and snaps a shot. Looking down at the screen, he is surprised to see that he has captured what looks like fear on the man's face. He looks up, only to see a white head of hair vanishing into the crowd. Dean doesn't think, He just reacts. He doesn't know why, but he wants to talk to this man, to see him closer, maybe to take his picture. He darts across the street, ignoring Sam shouting at him, and scans the crowd for the old man. He can't have gotten far. The guy looks like he's about a 100 years old. Finally, he spots the white head of hair retreating through the crowd. He makes his way in that direction, relieved. Hey, mister, he shouts, drawing close. Buddy, wait up. The white head turns in his direction, and the blue eyes meet Dean's, widening in fear. He turns and, to Dean's surprise, starts to jog away from Dean. He takes a step after him, then another, but then he slows, hesitating. The guy obviously doesn't want to talk to Dean, that's clear. The man looks back up again, and their eyes meet. They're so blue. The man drops. There's a shout from up ahead. Hesitation forgotten, Dean pushes through the crowd. He finds the man lying on the ground. Call 911, he shouts, making his way to the old guy on the pavement and kneeling next to him. He can hear Sam on the phone with the dispatcher. Give him some air, Dean tells the crowd. He kneels next to the old man. He doesn't know why, but his heart feels like it's breaking. No, 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 he mutters. He takes the man's hand in his. It's warm and dry, the skin fine and soft. He feels the fingers flex, and he looks at the man's face. Blue eyes blink open, focusing on Dean for a moment. A ghost of a smile passes over his lips, and his eyes close again. Dean hears the wail of the siren in the distance. It is with a heavy heart that Dean slides behind the wheel of his car and starts the engine. It's well past supper time, and he has already texted Sam to let him know he won't be meeting him. Sam wanted to know what had happened but Dean doesn't feel like typing it all on a stupid touch screen right now. He'll just call Sam in the morning. He can't help but replaying the events of the afternoon in his head. After the ambulance arrived, Dean talked his way into the vehicle, since it didn't seem like anyone else was with the old man. A paramedic had pulled the guy's wallet out to get his contact information, and Dean learned that the man's name was Castiel Novak. He had an insurance card but they had not been able to contact anyone to come for him. Not that it had mattered. The old man had been declared dead before they even arrived at the hospital. The staff had kept Dean at the hospital to ask him some questions, but once they realized he was just a bystander, they had sent him on his way. They refused to answer any of Dean's questions about the old man, even to confirm his death, although it had been clear in the ambulance that the man had not made it. When Dean arrives home, he shuts the car off, but he doesn't get out just yet. He can't quite determine why he's so upset at the man's passing. It's not like he knew him or has ever seen him before. They hadn't even spoken, but somehow Dean feels responsible. Dean sighs and heads inside his house, tossing his keys on the antique dresser by the door and heading up the stairs to the bathroom where he showers quickly before making his way down the hall to the bedroom. He contemplates going into the kitchen for something to eat, but in the end decides against it, simply crawling into bed and going to sleep. The next few days pass in a blur as he does last-minute prep for upcoming weddings and edits to the KU graduation photos. There is very little time to rest, and so he finds himself scrambling to finish up editing the parade photos for the city website. As a photographer, summer is always his busiest season. He ignores Sam's phone calls a lot of the time, until he starts receiving texts threatening to come over if Dean doesn't take a break. Dean calls him. The phone mashed to his ear as he clicks through the parade photos. Hey, I'm fine, Dean says, pulling his phone away from his head as a high-pitched screech stabs his eardrums. Sorry about that, Sam replies. Lily is going through a phase. She doesn't like it when I bathe her, but Jess is having a hard time bending over the tub. Dean finishes cropping the photo of the guy with the phone in front of the old building and clicks to the next one. I hear you. Dean says, although he's not really listening. He zooms in on the photo on his screen. It's the one he took of Castiel Novak, the old guy from the parade. Listen, are you coming over for dinner this weekend? Sam asks. Can't. I have a wedding on Saturday. Yeah, I figured that's why I meant Sunday. Dean can practically hear Sam's bitch face over the phone. Okay, fine. What time? Dean writes it down in his agenda as well as what Sam wants him to bring. If he doesn't write it down right away, he'll forget immediately. He zooms in on the photo of Mr. Novak, the only one he took. It looks like he caught the guy just as he realized Dean had seen him. His bright blue eyes are wide with sudden fear, and Dean zooms in further, his tongue caught between his teeth as he tries to work out what could have possibly spooked the man. He decides not to include that photo, but it's the last one from that day, so he quickly submits his set, and then turns back to the photo of the old man. There's just something about him. He pulls up his browser and does a quick Google search. It doesn't take long to get a hit. Dr. Castiel Novak, longtime resident of Lawrence, passed away on July 4, 2012. He was predeceased by his parents, Naomi and Charles Novak, and his sister, Anna Novak. Memorial and internment will be at 2 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday, July eleventh, 2012, at Oak Hill Cemetery. <music> Dean's still exhausted from the wedding when he pulls up to Sam's house that Sunday. He has beer and pie as requested, although he would have brought it anyway. He generally ignores whatever Sam says and just brings pie to every family dinner. The pie is removed and Lily immediately handed to him when he walks in the door, and he's quite all right with that. Jess looks like she has her hands full, so he walks past her to the backyard where Sam is grilling. He hands his brother a beer and sets Lily down to toddle over to the sandbox that John had built them when they were kids. Dean looks around the backyard where he grew up, noting the fresh paint on the fence. Love what you've done with the place, Dean says. Had to hire a guy. He charged me way too much. Sam replies. Slacking off in your old age. Dean mocks. Sam rolls his eyes. We can't all be restoration wizards like you, Sam says. I have a lot of downtime in the winter. Dean replies with a shrug. He has lived in his century old two story house since Sam moved back from California a few years ago, new wife and future Lily in tow. The family home was low maintenance, so Dean had let his brother buy him out. It hadn't been long after that that he found his place. Besides, I like old things, he added. It has secrets. He had still not discovered them all. The previous owner had left a fair bit of furniture behind. There was even a locked closet in the attic that he planned to call a locksmith about. I still can't believe the deal you got on that place. Dean's house had definitely been undervalued, even for its age. It had sat on the market for a long time before Dean had purchased it. It had been owned by a holding company, but they had turned down all other offers before Dean. There hadn't even been anything wrong with it, aside from some out-of-date electrical and plumbing that was easily brought up to code. It had sat vacant for a while, but a lot of the previous owner's furniture had been left behind, so Dean had been slowly restoring the furniture and decor over the last few winters, keeping the original look wherever possible. It's a pretty big house for just you, though, Jess says, joining them on the patio. Dean shrugs. He's too busy in the summer with his photography business and too busy in the winter with his house for a relationship. I'm sure the right person will come along. There's this girl Lisa where I work out, Sam says. Sam. What about Benny? Jess says. I don't like Benny, Sam says. Benny's back with Andrea. Dean informs them. There you go, Sam tells Jess, who darts over to rescue Lily, who has abandoned her sandbox to dig in the petunias instead. Dean offers to clean Lily up and vanishes inside with his niece returning to find that the topic of conversation had moved on in his absence, and he spends the next hour laughing with his family and gorging himself on steak, potatoes, and dessert, while studiously avoiding the salad. His phone rings while he's dishing up the pie. You gonna get that? Sam asks. I'm off. I don't need to get it. They can call during business hours. You might lose clients. You really should embrace modern technology. I use technology plenty. I edit photos all day on my computer, read a million emails, and post everything to my website. You still have a landline, you have rabbit ears on your TV, and you still listen to cassette tapes in your car, which is older than you are, by the way. Hey, my baby's a classic, Dean says. This is an old argument. You Can't beat the classics. Monday and Tuesday pass without incident. Dean works on the wedding photos, but he still has a few weeks for them, so it isn't a huge rush to get them done just yet. He finds himself fidgeting on Wednesday morning, unable to concentrate. So he walks down to Benny's diner for a late breakfast. But he's still fidgety when he returns. Frustrated, he closes his editing software. Maybe he needs a day off. It's been actually more days than he can remember he leans back in the chair and his eyes catch on the browser which was still open behind the other day's work castiel novak's funeral 2 p.m he checks his watch he has time the guy basically died in his arms he should at least pay his respects he changes into the dark unobtrusive suit he uses for wedding gigs and gets into the car heading across town to the cemetery There aren't very many cars at the cemetery, and he begins to wonder if he has the right place. It's quiet and shady, and so Dean decides to have a look around anyway. Even if he is in the wrong place, he has his camera, and he's always on the lookout for interesting shots. He hasn't been there long when he spots a couple standing near a grave. As he approaches, he realizes it's a funeral. He's about to walk away when he overhears the name Novak. Apparently this was the right place after all. There are only two other people at the gravesite, a minister and an old woman. She must be Mrs. Novak. The minister is just finishing up. Dean watches as the wife steps up to the plain coffin and pats it gently, dabbing her eyes with a handkerchief. She looks up and spots Dean. He waits awkwardly as she makes her way over to him. It's too late to run away now. Hello, young man. Are you a relative of Dr. Novak? Uh, no, I'm just... Dean isn't sure what to say. Um, a friend? He finally gets out. Mrs. Novak nods. I thought so. I didn't think Dr. Novak had any family left. Dr. Novak? Dean is confused. You're not his wife? Oh, no, dear. He was my renter. He had a room in my house for the last ten years or so. I came here hoping to find someone who could take his things. But there's just you. I saw you pull up in that big black car of yours so you can give me a drive home and collect his things right now. I've already boxed it up. Without waiting for a reply, she turns and starts walking towards the parking lot. Dean looks back at the gravesite for a moment before hurrying after her. Dean learns the woman's actual name on the way to her house. Mrs. Allen has been renting her basement suite to Dr. Novak for about a decade. They had been friendly, but not friends. Dr. Novak had kept to himself, apparently. He was a quiet man with no visitors. Mrs. Allen had always assumed he was a widower, although they had never discussed it. Once they arrive at her house, Dean follows her to the basement suite, which has its own entrance on the side. He looks around curiously while he waits, but there are no personal effects on display. He isn't sure if the man had just not had much or if his landlady had already packed everything. Not that there is much room. The bachelor suite has a bed, a table with two chairs, a bathroom, and a closet from which Mrs. Allen pulls three boxes. "'This one's books,' she says, pointing to the largest one expectantly. Dean takes the hint and carries it to his car, before returning for the other two, which he is able to stack on top of each other and carry out together. Mrs. Allen follows him to the car. "'Well, I don't think he had any next of kin,' but if they come calling, I'll pass them on to you. Dean exchanges numbers with her just in case. And if you know of anyone looking to rent a room, you let me know. Dean tells her he will, before getting back into his car and driving off. It's about a ten-minute drive home, and he spends it wondering what he's going to do with all the worldly goods of a dead man he had never spoken to. It makes him a little uncomfortable to think of going through them. Hopefully, someone will call in the next few days and take them off his hands. When he gets home, he brings them in and stacks them in the hallway next to the stairs, so they will be in easy reach of the door when whoever comes to get them. chapter three photos over the next few weeks the boxes in the hallway migrate away from the entrance and eventually end up in the dining room which tends to be kind of a catch-all space for things as he generally eats at the kitchen table he finally has a few days off near the middle of august so he convinces sam to come by to help him stain the front porch something he had wanted to do before winter they had sanded it down in june so staining goes quickly And before long, they head inside to cool off and grab a drink. As they pass through the dining room, Sam notices the boxes and asks about them. Oh, you remember that old guy who passed away at the July 4th parade? I went to the funeral and apparently he had no friends or family, so his landlady gave me his stuff. I've been hoping someone would come get it, but so far no luck. You went to his funeral? Sam raises an eyebrow. Dean shrugs. I felt bad, and I wanted to pay my respects. You should probably just donate it, Sam says. It's been what, a month? I can't just give his stuff away. Well, maybe there's a number or someone's info in one of the boxes. I guess. It just skeeves me out to look through someone's stuff. There's nothing unethical about it. Let me finish this, and then we can go look through it together. Dean shrugs, but he realizes he can't just keep the boxes there forever. Eventually, he's going to have to deal with them, and now is as good a time as any. Dean grabs a box cutter. The first box is just clothes and personal items. There's a few pairs of pants, socks and underwear, some buttoned shirts, a threadbare blue knitted sweater, an old suit, and a brown trench coat that had seen better days. There's also a shaving kit, a few pairs of shoes, and some gold-rimmed glasses in a case. The box of books is just that. There are a few paperback books and novels, but it seems like most of it is out-of-date medical textbooks dating back to the 50s and 60s. Whoa, Sam says, pulling out a big book and carefully lifting the cover. The pages are filled with birds. I think these Audubon books are worth quite a bit. I'm going to look it up later. The final box holds the man's treasures. There are a few folders full of papers and documents, a box which contains some letters, jewelry, keys, and a watch, and an old camera case. Dean immediately reaches for it, delighted, and opens it to reveal an old Pentax camera, probably from the 60s. Dean grins, popping off the lens cap and peering through the viewfinder. I wonder if this thing still works, he says. Sam is still digging through the box. You'll have to go through these papers, he says. Maybe you'll find some old Christmas cards or something with an address. Dean isn't listening, busy fiddling with the camera. Hey, is there any film in that box? "Uh, No, not that I can see. Sam digs around a bit. Found some photos, though. Dean sets the camera down carefully and moves to look over Sam's shoulder. Sam flips through the photos. There are a few pictures of birds, although they're mostly blurry. They appear to have been taken in a backyard. Dean can just make out a corner of a fence in a house. The next photo is of a man. He's standing near a stove, a towel thrown over one shoulder and a spatula in his hand. He's looking back over his shoulder, one eyebrow raised. He has a shock of black hair on his head and wide, surprised blue eyes. Dean sucks in his breath. The man is, was, beautiful. I think that's him, Dean says. Dr. Novak. Sam flips to the next photo. It's a different man, wrapped in a blanket with his face buried in a mug. Brown hair and surprised green eyes peek over the mug. Maybe it's this guy. No, he had blue eyes. It's definitely the other guy. Oh, okay, Sam laughs. They flip through the rest of the photos. A bunch of them show downtown Lawrence, the street filled with cars and people sometime in the 60s. The photos are a lot better composed than the first bunch, and Dean gets caught up in them again, enjoying the sights of his hometown in the past. There's even a photo similar to the one he'd taken at the parade, only the guy in the old photo is reading a newspaper and looking bored rather than a phone eventually they returned to the beginning of the stack and flipped through the bird photos dean wants to linger on the photo of dr novak but he also doesn't want to ogle a dead guy in front of his brother so he doesn't say anything sam stops on the picture of the guy in the blanket this guy kind of looks like you actually yeah okay dean says but he takes the photo to look at it more closely He's so focused on the guy that it takes him a minute to look at the rest of the photos. And when he does, he elbows his brother, who has gone back to digging in the box. Does this look like my kitchen to you? Kind of. I mean, you don't have wallpaper in there. I did when I moved in. I stripped that out that first winter. Dean gets up and goes to his laptop, opening it up and searching through his files until he finds his Reno photos. Look, it's the same wallpaper. He takes the photo and goes into the kitchen, holding it up to compare. The wallpaper is different and the cabinets, but the window is the same, as is the table, which was in the house when he moved in, and which he kept because he liked the retro look. Dean flips through the photos until he finds the backyard one with the house showing. Now that he looks at it, it looks like the back window of the kitchen, the one he's looking at. the one he's looking out of right now. Do you think Dr. Novak used to live in this house? Dean asks. Maybe. That would be a weird coincidence, don't you think? Sam says, but he heads to the dining room and starts going through the papers. Look, look, Dean, he totally did. These are the papers from when he transferred ownership of the house to a holding company, and then there's some offers here. Wow, people offered him a lot more for this place than what you paid. And look at this. Sam hands Dean a paper. This is the bill of sale to Dean Winchester. They look more thoroughly through the papers. They don't find any contact information for any next of kin, so Sam tells Dean he'll look it up online later that week before heading home to Jess and Lily, taking the Audubon book home with him. Once his brother leaves, Dean showers and makes himself something to eat before returning to the boxes. The items have been loosely piled back into them, so Dean carefully puts all the books in order, stacking them neatly in the box. He notices a lot of the fiction is by authors he likes, and he smiles to himself. The old guy had good taste. He takes the clothing out, folding it carefully before returning it to the box, fingering the blue wool of the sweater as he sets it on top. The third box is last, as he replaces the folders, which Sam went through exhaustively, as well as the other personal items. He finds himself wondering about the man who used to live in his house, who had seemed to recognize Dean, who had died in his arms. He leaves the camera for last. As interesting as the guy is, the camera is just about as cool. It was a good camera for the era, And if nobody ever claims the stuff, he can't wait to see if it works. Dean had wanted to be a photographer since he was little, ever since his mother had put a little 110 camera into his hands and set him free to take snapshots of whatever he liked. It was so exciting waiting for the photos to come back, to see what he would get. When he was older, he had gotten a better camera and had taken dozens of photos for the school yearbook. He had tons of photo albums of his high school and college years. But the new millennium had forced him to switch to digital photography to keep competitive, and so he had reluctantly made the change. He hasn't had a chance to use a film camera in years. He isn't even sure if there's still a place to get prints in town, although he has had the vague idea of putting a darkroom in his house at some point. One of the upstairs rooms would be perfect for that. It is next to the bathroom, so plumbing would be easy and the one small window would be easy to black out. He sets the camera aside. Unfortunately, with no film or supplies, any further experimentation with the camera will have to wait. Sitting back in his seat, his eyes fall on the little jewelry box, the one with the keys and watch. He looks at the keys curiously. There are some outdoor keys and some interior keys. He knows that even if the outdoor keys were for this house, he changed the locks when he moved in so they would no longer work the interior ones however dean gets to his feet and starts going around the house checking all the doors there are four interior keys one of them unlocks the downstairs bedroom which he uses as an office one of them unlocks the basement stairs one unlocks the master bedroom which is the only other bedroom that locks that just leaves the final key Dean had received only three interior keys to the house when he'd purchased it, but the attic closet has been locked since he moved in. He assumed it was an error and had asked his realtor to contact the previous owner, but they had told him the key was lost. He had been planning on having a locksmith open it, but it hadn't been a priority yet. Once in the attic, Dean moved some boxes away from the closet before finding the remaining key and sliding it into the lock. He grins as it opens to reveal a dusty cardboard box on the floor and a small shoe box on the single shelf. Dean slides the big box out first and flips it open. Judging by the top layer, it seems to be mostly science fiction. He grabs one off the top. A slip of paper falls out. Dean can barely make out the scratchy handwriting. Is it magic or is it God? some technology gone rogue we have yet to discover. It seems most likely the former, since his tales of technological advancements of his future seem mostly mundane and commercial, despite their wonders. But if it is some magic, how do I utilize it to bring him back to me safely? Or, failing that, bring me to him? Dean tucks the scrap of paper back into the book and scans the back. It's a book about time travel he's never heard of. Maybe the note was about the characters? It sounded interesting. He might check it out later. He notices that several books in the box are about time travel. At least he's consistent, Dean mutters as he closes the box back up. Next, he pulls down the shoebox and opens it to reveal several envelopes of photo negatives. He shoves the books back into the closet and heads downstairs to his office with the shoebox. He turns on the desk light to look through the negatives. It's hard to make out any real details, but he can see that a large portion of the photos are of nature or birds, although several strips show what look like downtown Lawrence. There are a few that look like various rooms in his house. There are several of what looks like Dr. Novak, including one with him and another person whose face is mostly out of frame. Dean sets those aside without thinking about it too hard. He also sets aside the strip from the printed photos he had already seen. Eventually, he's gone through the whole box. He tries to look more closely at the strips with Dr. Novak, but there's not much he can decipher from them, so he finally gives up and turns to his computer, determined to find what he needs to get started on that darkroom. The rest of the summer flies by, and Dean works on his makeshift darkroom whenever he has the chance, as well as tracking down supplies. The camera takes pretty standard 35mm film, but collecting everything else he needs takes some time. He doesn't want to try using the camera until he has everything he needs to develop his pictures right away. Sam was never able to locate any next of kin, so Dean doesn't feel too badly about keeping the camera. It's been a regular topic of discussion whenever they get together, and Dean has kept Sam updated on his adventures in setting up and stocking his darkroom. He has not, however, kept Sam apprised on his interest in Castiel Novak. Ever since he'd seen that picture of the doctor in his youth, standing at the kitchen sink, Dean's kitchen sink, he'd been, well, he doesn't want to say obsessed, just excessively interested in the former owner of his house. He'd pulled the photo of Castiel out of the stack and propped it by his desktop computer. He's looked at it so much by this point he's got it memorized. The gleam of his dark hair, the blue of his eyes, the stretch of his shirt over his bicep, even the pattern on the towel tossed over his shoulder. He's begun to think about him as he putters around his house, wondering what the doctor would think of various updates he's made. If he would like the color of the paint in the bathroom or the pattern on the rug by the back door, he wonders what Castiel had in the office. If he liked to kick his shoes off by the door or put them away neatly, or if he was the one who had planted the crabapple tree in the yard, or if he sometimes stopped the way Dean does to watch the afternoon sun shine through the stained glass in the living room. There's a gouge in the floor under the windowsill in Dean's bedroom. Had Castiel dropped something there? Or carelessly moved the furniture without minding the hardwood? He thinks of him while he works in his dark room, while he downloads and studies the manual for his camera, while he hangs a bird feeder in the crabapple tree, imagining him watching from the kitchen window, perhaps, just out of sight. It's a lovely Tuesday in September when Dean is finally ready. He's finished the last of his wedding photos and sent them off just this morning and has been saving the camera as a reward for finishing the tedious digital editing work. He loads the camera and prepares to take the first shot. He decides to do an outdoor photo first, as the crabapple tree in the yard is heavy with fruit. He takes a few shots of the tree from a distance, trying to capture the way the shade from the house hits half of the tree while sunlight bathes the other half. He does a few close-up shots of the fruit before heading back inside. The late afternoon sun is shining in his front room through the picture window with its strip of stained glass at the top, sending shards of color throughout the room. It's beautiful, one of his favorite things about his house. He takes a few photos of the light in the room, reflecting off the polished hardwood, before heading into the kitchen and taking a few more of the tree from the window. There's a couple more shots left, so he snaps a few of his car before heading into the dark room to see how they turned out. Dean hasn't developed photos himself since college, but the process is familiar. And an hour later, he's carrying his new prints into his office to have a better look at them in the light. He's happy with how the first ones turned out. The tree lit up beautifully on one side. He's okay with how the ones at the living room and the car turned out as well although he can see where he could use some improvement. It's just a bit of an adjustment, not having the digital screen on the camera to tell him how precisely he's lined up his shots. He kind of enjoys the challenge of doing things the old-fashioned way. His phone rings, and he answers it absently, still flipping through his new photos. It's Sam, double-checking if he's coming for dinner on Sunday. Dean confirms that, yes, he will be there. Pie and beer, Dean confirms. For sure. You're not making Jessica cook, are you? She's due in, what, a week? No, you're helping. She's just going to sit on the porch swing and supervise. I raised you right, Dean says, winking at the photo of Castiel. He gets off the phone with Sam and goes back to flipping through his pictures. It's on the third time through that he notices something in the living room photos. Almost a shadow, vaguely man-shaped standing in the doorway between the kitchen and the living room. He looks at the camera, checks for any smudges, but it's polished and clean. He goes through the rest, but the shadow is only in the living room photos. The Impala pictures are fine, as are the backyard photos. Dean frowns, looking at the photo of the back of the house. The way the light is hitting the kitchen window, it almost looks like a face. He digs in the drawer for his magnifying glass to get a closer look. He kind of wishes it was digital now. Curious, he picks up his digital camera and flicks it on, heading to the backyard and snapping a few pictures of the back of his house and then the living room. He loads them onto his laptop and has a closer look, but there's nothing. No shadow, no face. Bemused, he grabs the old Pentax and his tripod and heads back into the living room. It's almost supper time and the sun is at a different angle, but it's still coming in through the stained glass windows, shining now on the sofa. He attaches the tripod and lines up a shot of his brown sofa bathed in sunlight with the kitchen doorway behind. He sets the timer, then plops down on the center of the sofa, plasters a grin on his face and waits. The camera flashes. For a moment, he's blinded. Then suddenly something slams into his chest, like he's being simultaneously pulled and somehow flung. He crashes to the floor, his guts roiling, and without warning he vomits all over the hardwood. He sits back against the couch for a moment, his eyes closed, trying to catch his breath. His head is pounding and his stomach is threatening to discharge whatever remains of its contents. He gets to his feet, shaking and sweating, bracing himself on the sofa. Which is orange. He rubs his eyes and looks again. The sofa is definitely orange. He blinks and looks around. The clock has moved from the foyer to a spot to the left of the window. The rectangular coffee table has been replaced with a round one with thin legs. There is an orange chair in the corner. An old TV with rabbit ears sitting on a wheeled cart, and his camera is gone. His head is throbbing and he can feel the panic rising in his throat. Panic or the rest of his lunch. His legs give out beneath him and he sinks to the sofa, the sofa that is not his. His heart is racing and he puts his head down trying to catch his breath. Who are you? And what are you doing in my house? A gravelly voice demands. Dean looks up, blinking through the black spots in front of his eyes, to see a man in a blue sweater standing in the doorway to the kitchen. For a brief second, he thinks it looks like the old photo of Dr. Novak. The black spots take over, and the room goes dark.
0: That true love was true ah, I am possibly blind
2: Something here inside Cannot be denied
1: Chapter 4, 1962 Dean wakes up slowly the throbbing in his head making him wary about opening his eyes. He has the worst hangover of his life, but somehow he made it to his bed. It's dark and he has no recollection of even drinking. He reaches for his phone, but there's nothing where his nightstand should be. Cautiously, he pries one eye open only to discover he's not in his room at all. Instead, he's looking out the doorway of his office. Confused, he blinks and opens both of his eyes. It's definitely his office, with the familiar sliver of the hallway that leads to the dining room showing through the open door, but his desk and shelves are gone, replaced with the dresser from his entryway and the medical cot he's lying on. He tries to sit up, but the motion makes him queasy. He covers his mouth with his hand, trying to keep his stomach in control. Don't sit up, a gravelly voice says from the doorway. Before Dean can react, there's a metal bowl held under his chin. He finishes and wipes his mouth before looking into blue eyes. What the fuck? Dean says. He has to be hallucinating. The man in front of him should be dead. Eighty years old and dead. What's going on? I found you on my living room floor. You've got a fever. I would have taken you to the hospital, but I was curious as to who you are and why you broke into my house. It's my house, Dean mutters, accepting the cup of water that the guy who definitely can't be Dr. Castiel Novak circa 1960-something hands him. You are mistaken. This house has been in my family since before I was born. What day is it? It's Tuesday. It's almost eleven. You've been sleeping for over four hours. Tuesday. What date? September 18th. The year? 1962. Dean stares at the man in front of him. Possibility one, someone found out about his minor obsession with the dead doctor and knocked him out, rearranged his office, and then found a lookalike just to mess with him. Possibility two, somehow he inhaled too many developing chemicals and is hallucinating, in very great detail, despite that not really being a thing. Possibility three, the Pentax is magic and sent him back in time. Honestly, it is the only thing that makes sense. I'm from the future, Dean blurts out. The man, Dr. Novak, tilts his head to one side and squints. Maybe I should have taken you to the hospital. No. No hospital. I'm not crazy. My name is Dean Winchester, and I'm from 2012. You're Dr. Castiel Novak, and you used to live in my house. Time travel isn't possible. I can prove it. Dean reaches for his pocket. No pants. I removed them. Oh, God i am a doctor yeah okay well i think my wallet was in my pants no you didn't have a wallet i looked right i left it on my desk okay just ask me anything what's your birthday january 24th 1979 i'm 33 castile raises an eyebrow dean had answered quickly but he's still skeptical I graduated from Lawrence High in 1997. I graduated from KU in 2002. I can tell you the future. Buddy Holly dies in a plane crash. That already happened. Oh. What else happened in the 60s? Uh, someone shoots President Kennedy. A man goes to the moon. Woodstock. Although I think you'll have to wait a while for those. I don't know anything about 1962. Who's the president in, when did you say, 2012? I know that one, Dean says. Barack Obama. That's a made-up name. No, it's not. He's the first black president. Castiel bursts out laughing. I think the fever got to you. If you were making this up on purpose, it would be a little more believable. I'm not making it up. Dean says, his earnestness undermined by a cracking yawn. He lays his head back on the pillow. Okay. Castiel rolls his eyes, but he pulls the blanket up and feels Dean's forehead. Listen, you go ahead and get some sleep. You can stay here tonight, and in the morning we'll talk again and see if we can get you some help. Don't need help. I'm just from the future, Doc. I told you. Dean yawns and closes his eyes. I think maybe it was the camera. He mumbles. You still have a fever. I'll let you rest. Dean barely registers Castiel as he collects Dean's things and leaves, switching off the light. Do, do, do,
0: do, 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 do. They
2: said someday you'll find
1: The next time he wakes up, it's to a growling stomach and the smell of coffee. It takes him just a moment to figure out where he is this time, as the nausea and the pounding in his skull seem to have tapered off. He sits up carefully, but he feels fine, so he tries to stand and discovers that aside from being ravenously hungry and desperate to pee, he feels pretty much normal. He's wearing unfamiliar boxer shorts and a white t shirt presumably belonging to Castiel. There's no robe or anything he can see to put on over top, so he grabs the blanket and wraps it around his shoulders and heads to the powder room, where he relieves himself and washes his hands before wrapping himself up again and heading to the kitchen. Castiel turns when he comes then, making his way over to Dean and checking his temperature with his hand. "'Your fever seems to be completely gone,' he says. "'Would you like some coffee?' Absolutely. Just black is fine. Castiel hands Dean a warm mug. Dean blows across the top of it and takes a tentative sip. It's strong enough to stand a spoon in. He loves it. So do you believe me about the time travel? No, but you seem harmless enough for now. And the doctor and me is curious to find out how you think you time traveled. Is that common in the future? Dean decides to ignore Castiel's question in his faculties. If their positions were reversed, he wouldn't believe him either. I have no idea how it happened. Time travel is just as much a science fiction thing now as it was... is... was back... now? Dean laughs. I don't even know how to talk. But definitely time travel isn't common. I think it was the camera. I took a picture, and just when it went off, it was like a truck hit me or something. And I was in your living room. Well, my living room just 50 years in the past. What kind of camera is it? It's old, vintage. I found it in a box of your things. That's how I knew who you were. It's an old Pentax camera from the 60s. Castiel raises one eyebrow at Dean before striding out of the room. Dean sips his coffee and Castiel returns a moment later with a camera case in his hand. He takes the camera out and hands it to Dean like this dean takes the camera from him and turns it over in his hands it's the same pentax camera or at least the same model only it's shiny and new yeah i think it might be the same camera hmm i just bought it a few weeks ago he eyes dean suspiciously have you been watching me no i told you i live in this house in the future I got it because I wanted to take pictures of- of birds? Dean interrupts. Yes, how did you know? I think I have some of your pictures, too. Castiel hums, looking at Dean speculatively. Dean's stomach growls again. I was thinking of making you something gentle for your stomach, but you seem to be improved. Would you like some eggs? Sure, Doc, Dean replies. Castiel nods, turning towards the sink, where he washes his hands, drying them on the towel and tossing it over his shoulder. He puts a pan on the stove and turns on the flame. Dean watches as he pops bread in the toaster and drops butter in the pan. He looks around the kitchen, enjoying the way the morning sun shines on the wallpaper Dean had removed last year, now fresh and new-looking. It gleams on Castiel's dark hair and shines on the familiar-looking towel on his shoulder. He recognizes the floral pattern from a certain photo he's spent the last few months staring at. Suddenly struck by an urge, he grabs the Pentax, pops the lens cap off, and aims it at Castiel. Hey, Doc, Dean says, and when Castiel turns, one eyebrow raised to look at Dean, he snaps the shot. The two men stare at each other for a moment. A shiver runs down his spine. What? Castiel asks. I took that picture. What? That picture I just took. It was in with your things. I've seen this before. I've looked at it. Um, some amount of times. But I just took it with your camera. That's so fucking weird. The toast pops, startling them both. Castiel quickly butters it and serves the breakfast to Dean, who takes his first few bites all at once, his cheeks bulging before he remembers his manners, swallowing quickly, then attempting to eat the way his mother taught him. Castiel joins him a moment later, and they eat in silence. Castiel takes his plate to the sink and refills Dean's coffee, before sitting across from him and picking up the camera to examine it. It didn't make me time travel. Well, maybe it's not magic yet. Dean wraps the blanket tighter around himself and takes a sip of coffee blinking as the flash suddenly goes off in his face. Hey, he protests. What if that made me time travel? I wanted to know if you were the defining factor or if it's the camera. But it doesn't seem to be either you or the camera. You know, either that or you're imagining it. Dean scowls at the doctor. We could take the photos to the drugstore to get them developed. Cass says, it will be a while before we get them back, though. I literally just converted the second bedroom upstairs into a dark room. Dean says, Could sure use that now. Castiel raises an eyebrow. I'm a photographer. Weddings, local events, stuff like that. Most of what I do is digital, but I've always wanted to do more old-school stuff. It just hasn't really been possible until recently. Digital? It's, uh... Kind of hard to explain. But if there's only one thing you need to know about the future, is that literally everything is on computers. I see. Well, I'll tidy this up if you want to go have a shower and get dressed. I washed your clothes and put them up in the bathroom for you. Then we can go develop the photos. Although I think I've only used up half the roll of film. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to take a bunch of pictures of downtown while we're there. Castiel frowns, and Dean laughs. You took a bunch of pictures of birds, and then I took a picture of you by the sink, and then you took a picture of me in a blanket. The rest of the roll was pictures of downtown. I had the whole set from this roll. You were right. This is fucking weird. Dean manages to shower and dress without getting too distracted by all the little things, like the shower head and the light switch and the floor tiles he had ripped out, worn and cracked in the future but now fresh and new. Castile drives them downtown in his 1955 Chevy Bel Air, which causes Dean to have a minor meltdown. He almost talked the doctor's ear off on the drive, comparing it to his own classic 1967 Chevy Impala, which he realizes hasn't even been built yet. They spend about half an hour downtown and Dean does indeed use up the rest of the film taking pictures of the buildings, including the one of the guy reading the paper, and explaining to Castiel the differences in the familiar street between now and the future. Once the film is dropped off, it's almost noon, so Castiel offers to buy lunch. He suggests they go to a diner, which just so happens to be the one his friend Benny runs in 2012. The waitress takes their order and as they sip their cokes, dean takes a break from exclaiming over the past like an overly enthusiastic tourist they sit quietly for a few minutes and dean looks around with interest aware of the fact he's been somewhat playing up his excitement about the scenery in order to avoid staring at castiel who is definitely even hotter in person than he is in his photos dean regrets for a moment not taking more pictures of him instead of the street with the camera When he finally gives in and looks at Castiel, he notices the doctor looks a little overwhelmed, which, fair. Dean basically showed up in his house, puked on the floor, almost died, told him he was from the future, and then word vomited all over him, his house, his car, and his town. In his shoes, Dean would be a little overwhelmed, too. He decides to be a bit more chill for a while, so he waits for their food to arrive before saying anything else. So, what do people do for fun these days? Watch TV, go to the movies, read books. Are things really that different in the future? Dean isn't sure if Castiel is starting to believe him or if he's just humoring him. No, we have all that stuff, but we also have video games and the internet. I don't know what that is. Computers, Cass. Everything in the future is computers. Right. You mentioned that. Castiel takes a sip of his Coke. You called me Cass. Dean feels his face heat up. I'm sorry, I know we just met. It's just that I feel like I've known you for a while. Like I said, I have some of your stuff. You mentioned that. Was it left in my house? Or have we met before? We didn't actually meet. Dean shifts uncomfortably, not sure how to explain the situation. He decides to worry about that later. You did leave a few things behind. I recognize some of the furniture, and there were some things in an attic closet. How did you end up getting my house? I bought it a few years ago. My parents died, and my brother and I inherited their house. He has a wife and a daughter and another one on the way, so he bought me out, and he used that as a down payment on your place. I've been doing some renovations here and there. It sounds like it's in good hands. Have you lived there long? Dean asks. All my life. My sister and I grew up there. My father built it in the 20s before I was born. My parents have passed away as well. It was just my sister and I until recently. You have a sister? Had. My sister Anna fell ill and I was caring for her until she passed away about six months ago. I'm sorry. I guess that explains the medical room. Yes, I took time off from the hospital. I haven't gone back yet. How long has it been? Since I worked? About a year and a half. Are you going back soon? Castiel frowns and flags down the waitress for their bill. Dean takes the hint and drops the subject. Castiel digs in his pocket for change, paying for both of their meals and a tip for less than $4. Holy shit. Dean mutters. That would have been like twenty in my time. I would pay you back if I had any money. Maybe you'll take stock tips? IBM and Apple. You'll be set for life. I'll keep that in mind, Castiel says, holding the door open for Dean as they leave. They walk back to the Bel Air. Castiel unlocks his door and leans over to open Dean's side. When he gets in, Castiel starts the engine but doesn't pull out. Instead, he turns to Dean. Dean. We could drive around to see more of the town. He offers. Dean agrees and is rewarded with an absolutely stunning smile. Oh, I check them
0: and I
2: to think they could die.
1: The rest of the afternoon flies by discussion about the city devolves into conversations about books movies and tv shows castiel obviously hasn't seen a lot of what dean has but there's still a lot of common ground especially since dean took a film studies class in college and they both studied at least a bit of literature on the spur of the moment they decide to go to the movies they see hero's island which dean had never heard of in which they both agree is absolutely awful. They leave the theater laughing, and Dean tells him he wishes they could watch some of the classics that haven't come out yet. "'But you have all of that to look forward to,' he says, although half the fun of watching your favorites with someone is seeing their reactions. And in Dean's time, there's no Cass to watch movies with. They pull up to his, Cass's, house, and go inside. Cass takes his shoes off and lines them up next to the door, answering the question Dean had asked himself before he had time-traveled. And they go into the living room. Dean wanders over to the record player and starts flipping through some of the records. There are a few LPs, but it's mostly 45s. Rough time for music, Dean mutters to himself. He crinkles his nose at Elvis. I definitely can't dig this, he says. He flips past it and pulls out Chuck Berry. Back to the future. Appropriate. He turns to Cass with the record in hand, only to find the doctor staring at him with an amused smirk. Shut up, Dean says. How do I work your turntable? Cass puts the record on and they listen for a moment. Back to the future, he asks. It's a movie from the 80s where a kid travels back in time to the 50s and meets his parents. Cass looks at him suspiciously. I'm not your father, am I? Dean chokes a little. (laughs) Definitely not. Cass's eyes widen a little and Dean notices a faint blush rise to his cheeks. He quickly moves over to the sideboard and holds up a crystal bottle. Nightcap, he asks. Sure, thanks, Dean says. Their fingers brush as Cass hands him the glass. I know we haven't talked about it, but I assumed you would stay here, at least until you have somewhere to go. Still don't believe me? You make a good case, but you have to admit it's pretty unbelievable. Fair enough, Dean says. The song ends. What else do you have? He asks, turning back to the records. I'm pretty fond of this one, Cass says. He replaces the 45 on the turntable and the smooth sounds of the platters fills the room. Have you heard it before? It sounds vaguely familiar like it's from a movie or something. Most of the stuff my parents listened to when I was a kid was from the 70s. Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and stuff like that. Are the Beatles out yet? I've never heard of them. Well, I heard they were bigger than Jesus. Cass just stares at him scandalized while Dean chuckles to himself. The song ends and Cass finishes his drink. I think I'm ready for bed, Cass says. Dean finishes his drink, too, and follows Cass's lead as he sets the empty glass on the sideboard. Yeah, it's getting late. Dean stands, too, and they both walk toward the stairs. Dean goes first, and Cass follows, but when he reaches the master bedroom, Dean stops and turns to Cass. I just realized this isn't my room, he says. Oh, well, wait here and I will check the spare room. Dean waits while Castile bustles in and out of the room that Dean had made into a dark room. When he's done, he fetches Dean some pajamas and a few other items. I suppose we can get you some of your own things tomorrow, he says. Dean suddenly realized what an imposition he must be. I'm sorry I'm disrupting your routine, he says. That's okay. Honestly, it's been getting a little too quiet around here lately. It's nice to have you around. Dean watches as Cass's cheeks flush a little pink. Interesting. Anyway, good night, Cass says, before turning on his heel and shutting himself in his room. Dean goes into the spare room and closes the door. He doesn't know how he's going to be able to sleep with all the things rattling around in his head. however, once he changes and gets into bed, he falls asleep almost immediately.
2: Oh, laughing friends deride. tears I cannot.
1: It's not smoke that gets in Dean's eyes, but a sunbeam as the morning sun peeks through the curtains of his future darkroom. Dean covers his face with the quilt, but the sound of Cass puttering around in the kitchen soon draws him out, and he makes his way downstairs to find Cass stirring something on the stove. "'I made oatmeal,' Cass says, "'but if you don't want any, I have cereal in that cupboard.' Dean wrinkles his nose and goes to look, pulling out a box of life cereal. They still make this in the future, he says happily, pulling a glass bottle of milk out of the fridge. Cass directs him to where the bowls are, and Dean grabs what he needs, as well as the coffee, before sitting down. My brother would be all over that porridge, but that's a hard no for me, Dean says. It's good for you, Cass comments as he sits down with his bowl. Dean watches with an eyebrow raised as Cass pours liberal amounts of cream and sugar onto his oatmeal. Are you sure about that, Doc? Dean laughs. Cass just blushes, but he doesn't reply, reaching for the newspaper instead and halfway hiding behind it. Dean eats his cereal. When Cass sets the paper down, Dean glances at it. Oh, the Boston Strangler, he says around a mouthful of his breakfast. Do they ever catch him? Dean swallows. I have no idea. You'll have to ask Sammy that, too. Dean stands up and begins clearing the table. You don't have to do that, Cass says. You're a guest. Maybe, but it still feels like my house. Besides, Mary Winchester raised me to be a good house guest. A good house guest who talks with his mouth full? Cass laughs. Shut up, Dean says, flicking Cass with his soapy hand. Maybe we can go to the library today, Cass says. Yeah, sounds... Dean trails off. Did you hear that? He asks. Hear what? It sounded like my brother. Sam? Sam? Dean asks. Dean? Sam calls. And suddenly there's a pull, like his guts are being pulled out of his body through his navel, and everything goes black.